Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. pastor at Simple Church, and you might recognize me if you watch any of the Kidsmen stuff. So we have Kidsmen's lessons that go out every single week, and I'm often in front of the camera there, but I'm mentioning this because there's a little bit of a difference talking in front of here instead of in front of there. Like, I feel like I'm pretty good, I'm pretty confident when I'm speaking in front of the kids' camera. And but here I'm very nervous, which is weird because it's literally the exact same camera. It's just our creative pastor Derek in the room, who is also in the room when I do Kids Men. There's no one here to judge me except for him, but he's always here to judge me. It's really the same. But I've been having a hard time this week. I've been feeling very nervous. There's something different about talking in front of adults, and I've been having a hard time staying positive. I felt like that was important to share because we're in our series, Stay Positive. I do have some encouragement, though, because in the last few weeks, we, um, Simple Church staff, went away to our annual staff retreat. And while we were there, one of the things that we worked on, and we did some mental health work, and we talked a lot about identity. And we talked about how even if I am in a totally different place, totally different people, even if I'm doing something completely different or I have completely different people around me, I'm still me. And at one point, it was Pastor Gary Fowler from C3 Church who led us through this work on identity. And at one point, he had made a comment like, you know, even if I screwed up today or I failed everything, it's fine because I'm still Gary. And we really liked that. And so we have been kind of like overusing it and misusing it because it's funny. And so I use it in times like there was one night when the work was done, we played this card game called Pounce or Nerds, Peanuts, depending on what you call it. And basically, you get negative points, you get positive points. And the first person to positive 100 points wins. Or first person to negative 100 points ends the game. And, you know, point is, at the end of that game, I lost by a lot. I was at negative 74 points. And I handled it okay. But anyone who played with me would probably debate me on that because I was having a hard time. I'm very competitive. I love to win. But my encouragement there was, I'm still Gary. It's fine. Even if I lose the cards, I'm still Gary. Obviously, what I mean is I'm still Laney, but it's funnier to say Gary because it's not. So I need to explain the joke. Anyway, the next day, we played the exact same card game and with the exact same people. And I won by a lot. I don't know. It probably wasn't by that much, but it felt like a lot. And again, I got to triumphantly say, and I'm still Gary, because it's true. If I win, if I lose, if I totally mess up this sermon, if I am stuttering so much that I accidentally say a bad word, it doesn't really matter because I'm still Laney. I am still me. And all of this work on identity is, I think, easily translated to what we are more familiar with, something called self-confidence. You all heard of self-confidence, right? Well, have any of you, and put this in the comments if you're in our online campus or um, if you're at a watch party, talk to your friends. Has anyone ever told you, you're a very confident person? Or you seem really confident or like, you're, you're always confident. Has anyone, has anyone experienced that? Put it in the comments. And then answer me this question as well. 
Have you ever had, have you ever shared my surprise that I felt when someone told me that I seemed confident? Because when this person told me I seemed confident, in my mind I was like, what am I doing? I'm not really good thinking it. Because in reality, most of the time, I feel pretty insecure. And at this point in my life, I have a pretty good, um, I have a pretty good handle on when my insecurities are presenting themselves. And so I made a list. I made a list for you here. So these are some common ways that I believe insecurities manifest themselves. And so the first one that I thought of, because it's true for my life, is I seek validation when I'm feeling insecure. So I'm asking people questions. I'm asking them, do you think I made the right choice? I'm asking my husband, Elliot, like, hey, um, I did this today. Do you think that's okay? I'm seeking validation. Um, the next one I have here are negative thoughts. Maybe you can identify every time I'm feeling insecure and less than self-confident, I start to think the thought, am I really the best person for this job? Or am I really doing a good job as a parent? Or am I really where I'm supposed to be in X, Y, and Z? It's just a negative thought. comes out from insecurities. Or maybe you know that you avoid things. Maybe you avoid things like going to the doctor or going to the pool or going to the locker room at the gym because you're worried about how your body will be perceived by others. Or maybe this one's my favorite. Maybe self-deprecation is how your insecurities come out. Maybe you're making jokes about yourself because that way, if other people are making fun of you or thinking negative things about you, well, you have shown them that it's fine and you're already aware of it. And maybe right now you're listening and you're like, meh, none of these are me. I don't really relate to any of these. And if that's true, great. And also, I would challenge you because I think there's other sneakier ways that our insecurities come out. So I hear this a lot working in mental health care. There's like an archetype of a person that comes into the psych hospital who they're very, all I need is me, myself, and I. I got me. That's all I need. I don't need anyone's help. I'm fine with just me. I don't need to listen to you. I don't need to go to your thing. I don't need anything. But they're in a psych hospital, so I know that they do need help. Um, The point is that guardedness is just another way that we hide our insecurities. Next one, and this one I actually looked up because I hadn't heard about this before, but what I learned is that perfectionism, chasing perfection, is a way that we cover up those things that we're most insecure about. Next is hiding. So maybe right now you're saying to yourself, this topic is stupid and I don't want to talk about it. Maybe you're hiding from vulnerability. Or there's some sneaky proving that happens in our everyday life. Do you ever think, I want to go visit that place because I think it'll take incredible pictures that I can put on Instagram and get a thousand likes. Or, well, if I take a picture like this and post it on Facebook, then I know more people will like it or people will ask me about it. Or we're proving that that our life is really okay, our life is good, and we do do cool things, and, and we're funny and artsy, and I can prove it to you by showing you how many likes I get on my social media. And then the last one is this isolation. Have you been telling yourself right now in this time, I don't need to try to make friends. I don't need to seek relationships. I don't, I don't need to really get out there. And maybe you have a really good excuse for this, like the pandemic. But in reality, sometimes we use avoiding relationships as a way to hide our insecurities. It's a manifestation of our low self-confidence. 
We all struggle with self-confidence. And even as I say that, I question myself. Because I grew up with a very confident father. My dad, Sean, shout out to Sean if you're watching, is a very confident human being. He's going to laugh when he hears me say this because he knows it's true. Throughout my childhood, he said, yeah, I'm above average at most things. He'll do anything. He'll play any game. He'll talk to anyone because he know he truly believes he's above average at most things. And I'm sure he's aware that he's not above average at everything, but the man is confident. And so I called him to talk to him about the subject because I thought it would be an interesting perspective. And we talked about a lot that I want to share with you. So he talked about how he does experience lapses in confidence. And most of the time, those relate to when uncertainty is around. So uncertainty at work, fear of failure, fear that something's going to go wrong, these tend to shake his confidence. But he said that what he's found about self-confidence, and particularly about public speaking, is that he's confident to talk about something when he's absolutely 100% knowledgeable about the subject matter. So he said these words to me. He said, I could talk to anyone in the world for hours about Ohio State football. And I know that is true from experience. Because <laughs> I've engaged him with that conversation, but because I've sat through him having that conversation with other people. He could talk about Ohio State football forever because he knows everything, everything about Ohio State football. Um, but if he was going to give a presentation on economics, he would be a little bit less confident. Confident. And I think that translates well to self-confidence. Because the more that we know ourselves and the more secure we are on who we are, the more our self-confidence grows. Self-confidence and confidence in your identity is a good thing. It's important. It makes our lives easier. It makes our relationships better. But self-confidence will never be enough. And there's a few reasons for this. I'm going to go over them. The first one is, my heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And in case we didn't get the picture, it goes on to say, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? This does not say, uh, yeah, human heart, it could use some improvements. It's not great all the time. Sometimes it's flawed. No, it says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and clarifies and desperately wicked. And at first when I read that, I'm like, man, this seems harsh because I don't feel like the most deceitful of all things. I feel like there's more deceitful things and I feel like there's more wicked things. Like... I don't even want to give you examples right now, but I'm thinking about sharks. The point is, the Bible is clear that the human heart is deceitful. When I, when I think inwardly, and I, I, really, I really contemplate myself, I realize that I am manipulative. I do lie, and I scheme. I do try to get my way, and I do think ill of people. There's times where... The Bible say, says that I would murder, because the Bible says when I wish ill things of others, I murder them in my heart. We are desperately wicked. Our heart is deceitful. Next one is my flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 
41 says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. <clears throat> so this takes place. Jesus said this to his disciples when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was nailed to a cross. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was so stressed out in this moment that he was sweating blood. And I'm sure he was communicating that stress to the disciples, and I'm sure they wanted to do what he wanted from them, but they couldn't do it. They kept falling asleep over and over, and they kept falling asleep. Jesus was saying, watch, keep watch, and they just couldn't do it. Their flesh was weak. And I feel that many of us can relate to this. Um, this year has been a year of health journey for me. I'm doing a lot of different healthy eating plans, and I think many of you might be able to relate to planning out your diet and having a lot of goals and being very consistent and really, really wanting it, right? I really want to achieve my health goals. And then 9.30 comes, 9.30 p.m., and I'm like, I really want popcorn. I really want popcorn and cheese and hot sauce and cheesy hot sauce popcorn. I really want those things. My flesh is weak. We give in to that temptation. And then the next one is my behavior is inconsistent. This one hit home for me the most because one of my core values is to love everybody all the time. And when I think about people who don't love everybody all the time, it makes me angry. I hate it. But at the same time, I know. I know that there are times where I am catching myself from hating people and catching myself from thinking this person needs to come off their high horse or this person needs to be shown what's up or, I don't know, angry or meaner things that I can't think about right now. I catch myself doing that every single day. Romans 7.15, I don't really understand myself. For I, want, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And instead, I do what I hate. The more I know myself, the more stable in my identity I become. But my identity is broken because of sin, which is why we need something different than just self-confidence. We need God-confidence. Confidence because we know who God is and we know how he is. So today I'm going to walk you through three truths to build your God-confidence. All right, first truth. Truth number one, God is always for me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about staff retreat. There was this little game that we played um, throughout the day because the house that we stayed in had it. It's, I think it's called Tiki Toss. It's a ring, and it's on a string that's attached to the ceiling, and then there's a wall nearby, and the wall has a hook, and your goal is to, like, drop or toss the ring so that it swings and connects to the hook, right? That's the whole point. That's the whole game. It's very simple. And there was one day, um, maybe like, I don't know, during a break, where we were sitting around and uh, creative pastor Derek got up and started playing. If you haven't noticed, Derek and I, we're very competitive. And especially with each other for some reason, I don't know why. The point is, he was taking kind of a long time. I'm allowed to talk to him. I'm allowed to talk about him like this because he's sitting right there. He's taking kind of a long time to get his ring on the hook. I was sitting there, and I hadn't played it yet. And I was like, I bet I could beat Derek. I bet I could beat Derek at this game. And so he, he took a while. He finally got one, and he sat down, and then I got up, and I was like, oh, i get this cheeky toss. And I threw it once, hit missed the hook, 
I threw it again. It got pretty close. And I was about to throw it, again, throw it again. And my husband, Elliot, was sitting there. And Elliot, who's much less competitive than I am, was sitting there and he was cheering for me. And he was like, yeah, Lee, you can do this. You've got this. And he didn't even know that my goal was to beat Derek. I don't even care if you know my goal was to beat Derek until this moment. But the point is, he was sitting there yelling, you can do this. This is the one. It's this one. Go. And I threw a little ring and clunk. It attached the hook. Three tries. And I got to sit down victorious. And my point in telling you this story is that I think that Elliot's present presence and his encouragement made a difference in how I played. Might not have. I've got all the skills. But the point is, I think that it made a difference. And if you've ever played sports and had a crazy sport parent, or maybe you've been that parent, or you've seen those parents, someone who sits on the sidelines and yells with all of their might for their kid, maybe you know that that kind of encouragement, that makes a difference on how the kid plays. I think about even during this pandemic season, NBA players, they didn't want to play without the crowd, right? So what did they do? They put these sound engineers um, in there to make the crowd sounds because they know it makes a difference when you have someone for you. And for me, it always made such a big difference when my grandpa came to watch me. My grandpa would come. He lives in Toledo, in the Toledo area, and I grew up in Michigan, and he loves high school sports. And he would come to watch me play volleyball or whatever else I was doing, and it always made me so excited. I played better when my grandpa was there because I was excited to show him how I could play. But there was always a little part of me that was like, well, what if I mess up? Will it change the way my grandpa thinks about me? What if now I am the least athletic grandchild. What if he doesn't want to come because I play so bad that I get benched and next time it's like not worth him, worth it for him to come. There was always a little bit of that thought in my head. So I'm going to paint you a picture. What if you were playing a game, playing a sport, throwing a tee toss, and you had someone on the, on the sidelines and they were cheering for you. They were saying, yeah, you got this. This is the one. You can do this. You were made for this. You can do it. And there was no fear that your performance would affect how they thought of you. And you know that not only is this person cheering for you, but they also know everything about you. And you know that not only are they saying, you can do this, but they're also saying, and if you don't do this, it's okay because I'm going to love you anyway. That person I'm describing, that, that being I'm describing is God. That is my God. No matter how I perform, He is going to be for me. God is always for me. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. My performance doesn't change his love for me. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right now, do you live your life seeking approval from God? Like God was a recruiter in the stands waiting to see if you were good enough for him to accept you. When we have God confidence, we understand that we can live for we can live our lives for God already knowing that he loves us and that he accepts us and that he wants us he he wants us. 
And everything that we do can just be an outpouring of that knowledge. No matter how bad I play, God will be there in the stands cheering for me. And it makes a difference. Hebrews 10.35 says, Do not throw away this confident, confident hope in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. That confidence changes how we live our lives. There's this book called Quirkology that I quite literally stole from the desk of Aaron, Aaron DeLong. I borrowed it from Pastor Aaron. And um, there's a study in it on luck. Basically, they try to figure out like the statistics behind luckiness or lucky people. And what they found was that people who are more willing to step out of their comfort zone to fill in the back of the box with the sweepstakes thing, people who were willing to take chances just statistically were luckier, tended to have things happen to them. And so if that is true, if just by happening to do things that make us uncomfortable can make us lucky, then how much more true is it that if we step out into obedience, doing things out of faith for God, how much more true is it that God will make incredible things happen in our lives? Now, this doesn't mean that I'm going to, like, go jump out of an airplane with no parachute or, you know, destroy all my relationships or, you know, seek poor behaviors. That's just not what it means. But what would this look like in your life? Would it mean that you're using your gifts differently? Would it mean that you're serving at church in a different way? Does it mean that you're going to email me later, Lainey, at mysimple.church, and you're going to tell me that you want to serve on the Kisman team in front of the camera, even though it terrifies you because you know that God has given you gifts and equipped you and is for you throughout that? Does it mean that even that portion of your relationship that you thought you could never fix, that you and the other person have been just pushing out of the way and hiding, does it mean that now it's time to start focusing on that? Because God is for you. Even though it seems impossible, God is for you. Truth number two, God is my helper. This one's hard for me, because if God's my helper, how come bad things happen? If God's my helper, how come I got thousands of dollars in debt, or how come my relationship broke, or how come um, my loved one passed away or got sick, or how come this ministry that I started for God didn't work out? I'm here to tell you, I don't know. If I knew, I'd be God. But what I do know is that the Bible tells us that God is working all things out for my good and for the good of others. I also know that God let his own son, Jesus, into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And the first thing Satan did is he questioned Jesus' identity. He said, if you're really who you say you are, you'll do this stuff. And I want you to put in the comments right now, if you're in the online campus, or talk to the people at your watch party, tell them, how did Jesus fight back against the devil's tempting? How do you do it? Anybody? Anybody? Three, two, one. Jesus used scripture. Jesus used the word of God to fight back against that temptation. God is my helper. And God not only gives us scripture um, to help us in, in hard things in our life, but God gives us gifts. He puts us in situations. He gives us influence. And this is so true in the case of Moses. Y'all heard of Moses? From the Bible? You know, if you've been watching Kids Men, you know all about Moses, because this month 
we talked about Moses. All right, so Moses was called by God to lead, lead God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land. And I feel like this is reasonable. When God first told Moses he was going to do this, Moses was like, no. Moses was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. But Moses had help from God. The first thing God did to help Moses was he gave him influence. Because Moses threw out a bunch of crazy things that God put into place, was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was raised in the house of the leader. And therefore, he had influence. He had a seat at the table. And then next, Moses was like, I can't, you want me to debate with Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt? I, the um, smart people tell us that Moses had a stutter. And Moses was not confident speaking. And God was like, well, you're going to have my help, but I'll also give you Aaron, your brother Aaron, to speak, speak for you. God gave him influence. God gave him people. And through all of this, Moses was able to lead God's people out of slavery. If this is true, imagine what we can do with our lives. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. When the Lord is my helper, I do scary things. You know, one of the scariest things I think of is my friend has been fostering kids for many years, and I know that just being around her, I know that this process is scary because kids get moved around. It's a hard process. The kids that get placed in your, your house might have a lot of additional needs, and, and maybe it's scary knowing if you're going to be able to meet those needs. And throughout this process of fostering kids, She's had kids who they planned on adopting who have stayed with her for months and months and months then get moved out of her house. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for my friend and for her husband and for their two boys. But she does it because she has God confidence. And she knows that God is her helper. What will you step out in faith to do if you knew that God was your helper? If you have enough God confidence to know, yeah, This is going to be terrifying, but I know God's got it. God is my helper. Truth number three, God is working for me. It's our last one today. And this one makes me think back to what we talked about in the beginning. You know, my flesh is weak, my heart is deceitful, my behavior is inconsistent, because those things are truths, right? You find them in the Bible. Those are all truths, but there's a lie that comes from those three things. And that lie is, because my flesh is weak, my heart is deceitful, my behavior is inconsistent, God doesn't want me. God doesn't want me. God can't use me. God's finished with me. God's annoyed with me. God doesn't want to hear from me. God's irritated. These lies come from that truth. But I feel like we're going to be familiar with this next verse. Jeremiah Jeremiah 19.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. There is no world in which God cannot use you. There is no world in which God says, you have just just messed up too many times, or you have just annoyed me too much, and I don't want anything to do with you. Remember, God's love never changes. God's love is unending. And I bet right now, you can do this in your watch party, on online campus, if you open up, the internet or your Bible in five seconds, I bet you could find me a verse on love 
and I'm going to do it right now. I got my phone. Okay, count down. Five. Okay, somebody else count. I can't count, count, count and do this. Okay, I go on the Bible app. I do have love. And John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave us one and only son so that any, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And there's four more about how God's love is unending. Before we even cared or knew anything about him, God sent his only son, Jesus, down to earth to die a horrific death so that we might be saved. God's love is unending. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is God speaking here in 2 Corinthians. God is not surprised by how weak you are. God's not surprised by the ways that you mess up. But instead, God uses those weaknesses for good. And Paul, who wrote Corinthians, understood this. And he went on to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest, we'll say in, may rest in me. Paul knew. Paul had God confidence, and he knew how that affected him. Paul knew that God was working in him all the time. And even when Paul was a total screw-up, even when he messed everything in his life up, even when his weaknesses were evident for everyone to see, God was still working on him. And the fact that he was that messed up and God was working on him was amazing. And it showed just how powerful God is. So if you're waiting to go back to church or to jump into this community or whatever it is until you're good enough for God, or you're cleaned up enough for God people, or whatever it is for you. If you're waiting for that moment, I just want to bring your eyes back to that first. Because even in all of your weaknesses, God is using you for amazing things. And God can use you no matter how much you have screwed your life up, or you think you've screwed your life up. God will continue to use you to do not just amazing things in other people, but God will use you to do amazing things in you. What would your life be like if you shifted focus from what you can do to what God can do? How would it shape your life if you really had confident hope in the fact that God is for me, for you, God is your helper, and God is working in you? Would you play the game differently? Would you treat other people differently? Would you talk about God differently? Would you talk about yourself differently? Would it be easier to stay positive if you have this God confidence? And my greatest desire for you today is to grow in your God confidence, in your confident hope of who God is. And it sounds like a feeling, right, when I say hope. But in reality, it's a choice. We choose to grow our God confidence. We choose to seek more understanding of God. We choose to allow Him to change our lives for the better. And God's pretty powerful, and He's going to work on us even if we're not choosing Him. But when we make that choice, incredible things happen in our lives. And for you today, maybe increasing your God confidence looks like joining a group. You can joining a grow group at Simple Church and diving deeper into a Bible study, learning more about God, or even not at Simple Church, joining a group, getting a community with other people who want to learn more about Jesus. Or maybe it looks like going through growth track 
and learning more about the ways God made you and the gifts he's given you. Or maybe it means making a statement in front of everyone to say, this is who I am. I am a daughter. I am a son of God. And you can do that through getting baptized. Or maybe you're here today and you've never accepted the invitation that God has given you to be a part of his kingdom. And if that is true, we're going to pray in a second. And when we pray, we're going to ask Jesus to come and be a part of our lives. And we're going to ask Jesus to lead us and help us be more like him. So, everyone, no matter where you're at, I like to say kids, pray however you like to pray. Thank you.